Welcome to the Battle in the Bride. Hello everyone, my name is Seth Dean and I thank you for joining me for my sermon on ecclesiology. Today we are going to be reading out of 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verses 26 through 40 and I will be reading out of the New King James Version. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints." Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it you only that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Let us pray. O Father God, we praise you and thank you that you are a God of order and that you have ordered your words and your word and handed it down to us throughout the generations. And Lord, we thank you that you do not keep silent on the subject of church and on the subject of how to conduct our worship services towards you and for you. Lord, we praise you and thank you and ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit as we examine the scriptures to see what it is that you want us to know about you so that we can apply this to our lives and seek to to do these things in our own manner of worship as we gather together as Christians on the Lord's day. We thank you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. When God created the cosmos, when he created everything, he did it out of nothing. And what came from that was water. He then spoke and he divided the water. He divided it into firmament. And then he further spoke and divided it even more so by creating land to separate the the water and creating oceans and seas. He then spoke and he made that same water now teem with life. And not just life that, that lived in the water, but it was sustained by the water, and that water also sustained all the creatures on the land as well. He did all this according to his goodwill and his good pleasure, and he did so by the power of his spoken word. So thus God, by his speaking, made order out of disorder. The living God is a God of order. And this is evident in his creation work, but it also extends to the conduct of his church, who is not a pile of stones or a heap of rubble, but it is a well-cut, well-formed temple that he has built up. And so the right to speak in that church on the behalf of the Almighty Speaker 
is an it is a powerful and weighty matter because when god speaks he creates when god breathes he breathes life into clay and makes it a living being and in the end of things he the the breath that same breath that gave life to man it melts the enemies of god now in the church in corinth they were struggling with how to conduct themselves in worship they were experiencing disorder they were experiencing dissent disputes over doctrine and in our passage what we see is that there was a great discussion and disorder over speaking who should speak when can they speak what is the purpose of their speech and until now their gatherings they were full of confusion and disorder because everyone would speak at once they all wanted to talk and it created this disorderly environment and a disordered church as an immature and unhealthy church as we see previously in the chapter he's discussing spiritual gifts he gets to verse 20 and he says brethren do not be children in understanding however in malice be babes but in understanding be mature now paul as an apostle called by Christ Jesus he knew that the corinthians were an immature church and they needed to grow up into maturity and in order to do that they needed to be taught order they needed to be taught how to have an orderly worship service and once they became orderly in their worship they would begin to see the growth and the fruit that results from the proper administration of orderly worship. And this brings us to the main idea of the passage. A mature church is an orderly church. A mature church is an orderly church. Now at the wedding feast of the lamb, the church is presented to the Lord Jesus Christ as a radiant bride without spot or blemish. She will be a mature church. She will be an orderly wife. She will be in perfect submission to the authority of Jesus Christ. Any disorder, any rebellion, any immaturity at all, it will no longer be present within her. She will be perfect. And therefore, the church should always strive for maturity and order in the way that it worships God. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verses 26 through 40, Paul teaches Christians six practical truths about the proper way for the church to gather in worship of God so that we can grow up into maturity through the edifying use of spiritual gifts and submission to God's commands. And we'll see that in in these six ways. First, the nature of their gatherings in verses 20 in verse 26. Second, in uh, in the use of tongues 27 through 28 uh the third point is about prophecy in verses 29 through 33 and he's going to then in 34 through 35 talk about the role of women in church and then the ignorance associated with the dissenters in verses 36 through 38 and then finally the aim the ultimate goal of their entire worship service in verses 39 through 40 
So as we come to the nature of their gatherings in verse 26, Paul identifies the reality of the Corinthians in this church. When they gather together, they all have something to bring to the table. Each of them has these things, and he doesn't rebuke any of the items that he lists, a psalm or a hymn, an interpretation, a tongue, but he does tell them how it needs to be administered. Let all things be done for edification. And this is his first bookend. When you put the Chronicles of Narnia on a shelf, if you don't put bookends on either side of them, they're all going to fall over and it's going gonna, it's gonna to cause a, a ruckus. And so he is he's about to order the way he's going to talk to them about order. And he starts off by saying, let all things be done for edification. In other words, what I'm about to tell you is for the purpose of building one another up with these spiritual gifts that the Lord has given you. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16, we know that these gifts are given for the to the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, for the unification of those saints by their faith in Christ and knowledge of them, and also to attain to mature manhood, ultimately to attain to the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. These gifts are given by God, and when they are administered properly by men, it will help those in the church grow up out of childish things. And Paul just said previously in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians that when he grew up, he put childish things behind him. And this should be the attitude of the church. Put behind yourself your childish ways of thinking about worship so that we can become more and more like Christ, mature Christian adults. So he goes on in, in our second point of about tongues, verses 27 through 28. So having set the first bookend, he now proceeds onto this matter in which he's already dealt with in, in the, the prior verses in chapter 14. He's already talked about tongues. It's a supernatural gift of speaking in another language without its previously being learned. That's Vine's Dictionary's definition. And this was the ability that was widely prevalent in the early apostolic church where men would be baptized by the Holy Spirit and then be able to speak in another language. And this first happened at Pentecost. When the disciples had gathered together, the Holy Spirit fell upon them in tongues of fire. Men who came to Jerusalem from all over the, the known world at that time then heard the message of the gospel being boldly preached by these men. Now, tongues is a sign for unbelievers because the languages were first divided at the Tower of Babel when men were rebellious towards God out of their unbelief. Now, these tongues were a sign that the gospel had come to bring all men back to the Lord. But these languages were known languages. They were not made up gibberish like we see in so many churches today, where false teachers tell entire congregations that they can just speak like dribbling infants, and suddenly they're empowered by the Holy Ghost with the gift of tongues. That has never been the case. Now, he's already addressed this. Earlier, he talks about it in great detail, but he puts a fine point on it here, that those with the gift of tongues can speak in the church, but they must do it one by one and only 
if there is an interpreter. Otherwise, they have no right to address the church because it will not be edifying because no one will have any clue what is being said. Now, I once visited a church where the pastor, he just alternated between English and whatever they call tongues, and it seemed it seemed like hours. It was the most insufferable service I've ever sat through, and no one interpreted. Everyone spoke when they wanted to. There was no order. There was no understanding imparted. There was no edification. And this is what Paul wanted these people to leave behind them in the interest of growing up into maturity. They needed to understand what was being spoken. And then he goes on to the matter of prophets in verses 29 through 33. This is where he turns his attention to what he considers to be the more desirable gift. He says, now when, uh, excuse me, now when we, we think of prophets, we think of men who can just tell the future. They have some grand word from God, some grand vision, but that has not always been the case. John the Baptist was the greatest prophet that ever lived, and his entire ministry was calling the covenant people of God to repentance of their sins in preparation for the coming Messiah. Now, in apostolic times, they did possess the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit that allowed them to tell future events, like famines or the apocalypse in the case of, of the Apostle John. Uh, but they were also similarly similarly concerned with bringing these people into submission to God's word. And in Thayer's Greek Dictionary, he talks about uh, the prophets in this way. He said they would instruct, comfort, encourage, rebuke, convict, and stimulate their hearers, much like a pastor today. Now, the pro prophecy is the more desirable gift over tongues. It is the one that must come under the most scrutiny. He commands, let the other judge. Let the other prophets judge. It is a call to accountability. No one can just stand up and pop off about whatever they want and get away with, with it. The spirits of the prophets were subject to the discernment of the spirits of the other prophets. If a prophet spoke out of line, they needed to be called out on it. And all this was to be done orderly with two or three speaking in turn. Why? He says, because it's for edification, for encouragement, and for peace. He says, God is not the author of confusion. In verse 33, but of peace. God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And the aim of the Christian gathering is peace. And that comes... When there is an environment created where God's word can be heard in such a way that it impacts the believer and changes their way of thinking. And ultimately, that changes the way that they live. So in order for this environment to be created, prophets must be ordered, then they must be accountable as they bring God's words to the congregation. Now, in verses 34 through 35, he brings our attention to another apparent issue that this church is facing, the role of women in the worship service. Now, this entire section 
this passage, 26 through 40, has focused on who has the floor in the church's worship service on Sundays. Who can talk? Who can bring an edifying word of encouragement to the congregation? Now, in Corinth, they apparently had an issue where women would interrupt the service, those speaking already, to ask questions, or they would join in with the din of the multitude of tongue speakers or the multitude of prophets prophesying without restraint. Now, Paul's command is this. Women are not permitted to speak. Women are not permitted to speak. They must be silent. Why? Because they do not have the authority given by God to teach. In fact, it is a cause for shame for the church to be taught by women. He maintains this in his first letter to Timothy, where he says, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Now, it was given to Adam by God, the instruction concerning the trees in the Garden of Eden, and it was his authority and his duty to teach his wife about those commands. He sinned, Adam sinned, when he let her teach him, and he ignored God. Thus it is given to the women to learn and not to speak. Now all the congregation in the church, they will learn. But the women especially, they are to submit to the authority of God by refraining from utterance, by refraining from interrupting, by refraining from teaching. Now, should they have any questions about the matter? If, they, if they're having trouble learning, they are to ask their husbands. Now, this then drives home the point that husbands, you have the responsibility to grow in the knowledge and understanding of the Lord. Young men who are not married, don't wait till you get married. Start now. Dig into the scriptures. Learn more about God and what he has to say in his word. You all must be paying attention to the prophets on the Lord's day. And then when your wife comes to you, you will be able to answer her questions. Now, if she has questions that are too great for you, you can go to those prophets, to those pastors, and ask them and gain understanding and glean wisdom from them and then take that answer back to her. This is God's given authority for you to exercise. So don't grow flabby in your theology. Now, in verses 36 through 38, once he's done addressing that issue, he comes to the issue of the ignorance of dissenters, people who disagree with him. Now, he says, knowing... Excuse me. He says, did the word of God come originally from you? Now, Paul knows that. He knows that there are going to be people who disagree with him. Obviously, they're, they're, they're already practicing these things. And people have a hard time of changing. But people also think that the way that they do things sometimes is the best way. Now, Paul, he knows this. He knows how proud and haughty they are. And so he addresses them. Did the word of God come originally from you? He's saying, are you the one who gave the commands? Are you? Are you the one who planted this church? Were you the ones who were commissioned by Christ Jesus to set all these things in order? Now, he knew that this letter would be read aloud in the assembly. 
And doing so, he sets forth the following statement to separate the sheep from the goats, the obedient and the dissenters, the mature and the children. He says, if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. He's saying, you who disagree with me, who continue to practice disorder, continue to allow innumerable tongue speakers without an interpreter and innumerable prophets to go on without restraint or accountability, or who continue to allow women to dominate the teaching time with unsubmissive abandon, you are ignorant. You are disobeying the commands of the Lord God himself, in whose name you are gathering to worship. Now, we have tons of churches today who allow disorderly and immature practices like these in their congregations, thinking they are doing some great service to the Lord and to the, and to the, the Lord's body. People go to these churches on Sunday where congregants are encouraged to speak freely in tongues without an interpreter and no order. No understanding is imparted to the body. In other churches, people stand up and they say that the Lord has given them some brand new vision about this or that. They go on and on about future events without any restraint. And when their prophecy fails to come true, there is no accountability. No one holds them to a call of repentance. They don't call them out on the carpet for it. They're allowed to go on and on babbling as if it's some badge of honor. You know what happens? The body suffers. It suffers from these practices. There are entire denominations that have given themselves entirely to the idea that women can be preachers and hold any teaching authority over men in the church. And according to this passage, a female teacher is a sign of immaturity and a shame and a dishonor and a blight. That's what Paul is saying here. Churches that practice these things have not grown up. You have not progressed. You are not building up the body, no matter how much you want to try and justify it. You are tearing it down. You are rebellious teenagers of the faith, not mature adults. You will never produce mature, valiant Christians in those churches. They will always be lacking, always be deficient in maturity. They say, they say these people say they are doing these things all for the good of the church, but they will never attain to the fullness of Christ because at the heart of their worship, they hate Christ's commands for his church and ignore them. So Paul says they are ignorant. Churches that practice these things contrary to Paul's commands are doing them contrary to Christ's commands. They're not edifying. They're not orderly. They're not educating. They're not peaceful. They're not mature. They are not decent. Now, what does he tell us? He says the sign of truly spiritual people, true prophets and true spiritual people, is their obedience to the commands of Christ for his church. No matter how unpopular 
it may be within the context of the culture. And so he closes in verses 39 through 40 with the aim of their worship. This is his second bookend. Let all things be done decently and in order. This is the aim and purpose of their worship. It's the aim and purpose of our worship. Order, peace, decency. He says prophecy and tongues, they are permitted. They're both edifying for the congregation, if done so in the right way. He says, desire earnestly prophecy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. He's saying, let those permitted to speak do so. But do it in order for that speech to be edifying and encouraging. It must be delivered in a decent, orderly fashion. Now, speech is something that we take for granted. It is of the utmost importance, though, when it comes to the edification of the church. Jesus spoke with authority, and it differentiated him from the soft-handed scribes and lawyers of that day. He spoke clearly and he spoke directly. Jesus' speech brought clarity, but it also brought division. He divided truth from error. He divides the sheep from the goats. His sheep know him by his voice. So the church, the church needs men with a clear voice and a clear word from God. They need Shepherds who will speak to them in their dire need. Because all men are fallen and sinful. All men desperately need the grace of God. Apart from Jesus Christ, no work that we can produce, no amount of worrying ourselves up into some emotional frenzy will ever make us right before God. Our worship isn't to be an emotional an, an emotional extension and an emotional justification. It doesn't just make our week better. Why do we go to worship God? Because he is God. But we go to worship in the name of Jesus Christ, who was perfect, who was righteous, and whose righteous death on a cross, where he took all of our sins and all of our works merited, death. He died our death, took our punishment, and took our sins, and was laid in a grave. And because he had no sin, because he was righteous, he justified the rest of us when he rose from the dead, because the grave had no legal claim on him. And so in his resurrection, we have the hope of eternal life, as he ascended later into, into heaven, and sits right now at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And he's given the Holy Spirit to men as a gift. He's given salvation to men as a gift of free grace so that those who believe on him and believe on his sacrifice, what he did on the cross in his meritorious work alone, will find eternal life and not perish. It is in the name of Jesus Christ that we gather on Sunday 
It is to commemorate his resurrection that we gather every single week. It is to praise the living God. And if we are to worship God in spirit and in truth, we must do so in the orderly fashion that he prescribes to his church because he is the Lord of it. He is the bridegroom of it. He has authority over all things. And he has taken the church for himself. So the church needs men with a clear voice who are willing to submit and obey to the Lord's commands so that they can have an orderly church and orderly worship because a mature church is an orderly church. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you so much for these things that you have revealed to us in your word. And Father, I pray that you would help each one of us as we consider the ramifications of what it means to be a, an orderly church, to be congregants in an orderly church. Lord, if there are those who, who are convicted that they attend a church that is disorderly, Lord, I pray that you would give them wisdom about what to do next, to, to either bring it to the attention of the elders or to find a church that truly does want to worship you in spirit and in truth. And for those who are blessed with an orderly church, Lord, I pray that you would continue to grow and edify that congregation up into maturity so that they can attain to the fullness of Christ. Lord God, I pray that you would help each one of us as we go about our day and as we dwell on these things, Lord, make us all more and more like Christ, our bridegroom, our Lord, and our Savior and our King. And I pray all of these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Battle and the Bride. If you liked this episode, please subscribe, share, and leave a review. For more information, visit thebattleandthebride.com. If you have any questions, you can email us at thebattleandthebride at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and God bless.